If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Good morning, Dan, and in framey this morning, Lauren Cohn. Know her from Fox Chicago, reporter, anchor, WLS, talk show host. Happy to have her in studio today. Good to be here. Uh, let's talk about a favorite topic of yours, Lauren. I know Nobel Prizes in economics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the uh, recipients this year, William Nordhaus of Yale. Right. He doesn't uh, run afoul of that anti-Kavanaugh crowd on campus. Um, he is being hailed by the left, his Nobel Prize, uh, particularly for his work in environmental economics, because um, he has, uh, I don't want to say advocated, but he certainly calculated an optimal carbon tax, uh, about 36 cents per gallon of gasoline to deal with um, uh, reducing reliance on fossil fuels. Um, but that's only part of the story, as the left is want to report. The other part of the story is Nordhaus, his research, making it clear that the uh, projections, mandates, goals of the UN, uh, uh, you know, IPCC, the um, Intergovernmental Climate Change Panel they've got, as well as, um, you know, the environmental extremists in this country. Uh, uh, Nordhaus's research gives lie to all of that. Good piece in the Wall Street Journal by Bjorn Lumberg, who's uh, president of the Copenhagen Consensus Center. He's um, an environmental uh, sciences expert as well. He's been writing about this topic for some time. Um, the... Uh, Global economy must be transformed immediately to avoid catastrophic climate change. That's the UN. Uh, they want to limit temperatures to 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit above pre-industrial levels. That's what the IPCC wants. Uh, Mr. Nordhaus's work, the economist who won the Nobel Prize, shows that is economically and practically impossible. Models reveal that to achieve the 2.7 degree goal, the world must stop all fossil fuels in less than four years. Yet the International Energy Agency estimates that in 2040, fossil fuels will still meet three quarters of the world's energy needs. Even were the Paris Accord from which the United States withdrew in Trump's infinite wisdom. Even were that accord fully implemented. It's absurd and obscene and would be catastrophic to you know, mankind, remember us, the humans? I know the left isn't so interested in us, but Lumberg has previously written about the impacts of what the left wants because this has been modeled. Uh, a, a couple of months ago, he uh, dissected uh, this uh, study that was published in Nature Climate Change. Researchers from the International Institute for Applied Systems Analysis, I, I'm using all this these names of organizations and associations you probably never heard of because, uh, you know, people who are not on board for the left's program are anti-science. Hardly. Hardly. The ideologues of the left are anti-science. These researchers, experts in the space, found strong global climate action would cause more hunger and food insecurity than climate change itself. 
They used eight global agricultural models to analyze various scenarios between now and 2050. These models suggest on average that climate change could put an extra 24 million people at risk of hunger. But a global carbon tax would increase food prices and push 78 million more people into risk of hunger. Trying to help 24 million people by imperiling 78 million people's lives is a very poor policy, wrote Lumberg at the time. It is, and we have additional economic backup to support that contention. I know this is a particular area of interest and expertise for our next guest as well, who writes about energy policy routinely, wrote a book about it. Very good. Stephen Moore, Wall Street Journal columnist, chief economist for CNN. Steve, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, guys. Good, uh, good morning. And by the way, my mentor, of course, as you know, Dan, was the great, great, great economist who did deserve a Nobel Prize, Julian Simon, yes. from the University of Illinois, who we we all uh, now describe as uh, a doomslayer because he proved 40 years ago uh, that all of these apocalyptic claims by the radical environmentalists, every single one of them has been false. And so I, when I read the newspaper, I think it was, when did that story come out Sunday? Oh, my God, doom, the planet is facing environmental destruction. There will be no more water. There will be no more, there will be forest fires. There will be hurricanes. There will be, uh, you know, mass famine. I, I've read those headlines for 40 years, and every single prediction of doom, of course, has been discredited. Um, look, if, 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 if global warming is the apocalyptic future that, uh, that the United Nations climate scientists make, by the way, billions and billions of dollars off of this racket, if it were all true, then does there anyone, anyone out there, I mean, raise your hand if anyone thinks that the United Nations is going to change the global temperature. I mean, it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. The way we would deal with climate change, if it, if it, if it were true, and I'm not saying it is or isn't, I think there's contrary evidence, is through technology and growth, not through government action. And Dan, the thing that makes me so angry about this story is read what every, you know, first they say, oh, it's going to be global apocalypse unless we do something. And then what do they, what do they want to do? They want to basically have collective action you know, which is bigger, bigger government dictating every area of your life from the kind of light bulb you put in your in your lamp to, uh, you know, your flush toilet and every other area of your life, what well, kind of car you can drive. I mean, this would be this would be the biggest advance for statism since since Stalin was on the planet. Well, and, and under and, and let's emphasize one other point that I know you understand, but it should be made explicit. This is about, uh, you know, the, the mob. This is about mob action in the U.N., transferring wealth from industrialized wealthy countries to less industrialized, uh, not exactly. wealthy countries. So, so, Dan, this is a great, great, great point you're making. So the biggest problem on the planet in terms of poor people, people who are desperately poor, who don't have enough food to eat and don't have a home and, uh, you know, are, are in severe poverty, is they have what we call energy poverty. They don't have energy. They don't have, they don't have fossil fuels. They don't have uh, you know, I've been to some of these African villages. They don't have basic electricity. And so for our really, really rich billionaires like Tom Steyer to go to Africa and say you shouldn't use fossil fuels is inhumane. Of course they should use fossil fuels. That's how they're going to bring development. You know, one of the points of our book, Dan, which I know you've read, uh, uh, you know, every page of, but one of the great, I think, insights uh, in the book is that 
the industrial revolution, which led, you know, uh, which was a great leap forward in terms of mankind, which is, has allowed, you know, uh, billions of people live a middle class lifestyle, uh, was that the industrial revolution was led by by energy. It was an energy revolution where we moved away from using windmills and solar panels to using the steam engine and coal and uh, oil and gas, which is what powered this incredible society we have today. And the idea we're going to move back to a pre-industrial age of form of energy w- would mean that we're all going back to the Stone Age, folks. Well, this to me, Stephen, is don't think we're going to think for you. Therefore, you're dependent on us for all your thoughts and actions. Well, sh- and sh- that's scary that to me. Well, what scares me is that this is, uh, the, to me, the conversation is don't think we're going to think for you. Therefore, you're going to be dependent on government. And then we have all control. Well, exactly. That, this, is, this would be the biggest lurch forward for, it's, by the way, it's not just national government. It's, it's basically global government. You know, you're going to have these bureaucrats in Brussels tell you, you know, how to live your life and, and what, what kind of car you can drive, every aspect of your life. Because energy, look, energy is the master resource. Everything that we have, the telephone I'm talking into, the, the computer uh, you know, that you're tapping on, the breakfast you have, the dinner you're going to have, the chair you're sitting on, everything is derivative of energy. You take, if you want to destroy a society, take away their energy sources, and that's, what's, uh, that's sort of the bottom line here. The idea of like California and a lot of these environmentalists go to 100% renewable energy. I mean, you want to talk about energy poverty, we'd, we'd, look like, we'd live like African tribes do. Uh, switching gears, talking a little bit domestically and beyond energy, uh, the uh, good news numbers on unemployment uh, again last week, generally speaking, yeah. <laughs> although I'm not sure what, what they necessarily mean. And this sort of uh, continuing seemingly, seemingly, although with, I say this with much trepidation, unwinding of a decade of easy money by the Fed, um, where do you see economic growth and the continued job creation and importantly wage increases in the next quarter or two so last week it was kind of overshadowed obviously by the Kavanaugh um, nomination process but last week might have been the single best week for Trump uh, which is saying a lot given how well the economy is doing but economically the news that came out last week was just one day after another incredibly good news it started on Monday uh, with the uh, with the announcement of the trade deal with Canada Mexico, which is a fantastic thing, it means North America will retain its uh, you know free trade zone um, arrangement, which is good for all three countries. Uh, the second thing that happened was the next day Amazon announced it's raising its wage to fifteen dollars an hour, which is fantastic. That's two hundred and fifty thousand workers that are going to get a pay raise. And that's the testament to how tight the labor market is. Uh, the third thing that happened, of course, was the was the jobs report where we now have the lowest unemployment rate since I think, you know, uh, John and Paul uh, were writing songs together for the Beatles. Uh, and then we've got... Glad um, you said writing then, songs because we know from Paul they were doing other things. <laughs> young people, yeah, when I say that to young people, they're like, who are the Beatles? Uh, and then uh, these millennials, I can't stand them. And then, you know, the best news I thought was, you may have seen it, guys, it was a story in the, on A6, page A6 in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend that they, they looked at the uh, what, hap- what has happened to wages over the last year. And lo and behold, they found that uh, the biggest wage gains for Americans was for those who do not have a high school degree and those in the bottom 10% of income. 
they have the big, they had five percent increase in their wages. That's like the first time that's happened in forty years. Amazing, you know. And by the way, the left kept saying, "Oh, these are just tax cuts for the rich people." No, the people at the bottom have the biggest gains. So it's just good news. And by the way, I don't think that the Fed is going to be able to stop this uh, expansion. I, I'm kind of uh, ambivalent about whether the Fed should be raising rates. I don't see really any signs of inflation out there. I know gas prices are rising. I'm a little concerned about that. But you look at other kind of commodities, you just don't see any signs of inflation. You know, employers and, and business men and women tell me they don't have a lot of pricing power. They can't go out there and raise their prices by 10 percent or they're going to get clobbered by their competition. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a full-fledged boom we're in right now, and I think it can last another couple of years. All right. He is Steve Moore, Wall Street Journal columnist and chief economist for CNN. Steve, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Have a great week. You Bye. too. Thank you. And he joined us on the turnkey.pro answer line. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one Chicago's Morning Answer on AM 560.